Welcome to the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast for the week of May 22nd, 2015. This is episode number 258, and I'm Chris Boyer, the uh, Senior Vice President here at Revive Health, and I'm joined today by... Christy Goad, Chief Marketing Officer here at Revive Health. And Dana Weymouth, Operations and IT Manager. Yay, Christy Goad, a new voice on our podcast. Yeah. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, good. Well, we're happy to have you here. You know, <laughs> um, we may miss Chris Bevelo, but I don't know. Maybe we won't miss Chris Bevelo in the next uh, I don't know. Those are big shoes to fill. I mean, I'm going to try my darndest, but... I know that people people clamor for Chris Bevelo, so I just think that it's really good that we kind of keep the Chris and the Christy thing going, you know. So Dana is sort of an odd man out, but um, yeah, he, he's always yeah. a sidekick. But yeah, I agree. I think every future guest should have the word have the name Chris or some derivation of the word Chris. Maybe that will limit us a little bit in terms of who's going to be on. There's but a lot we, of I know I know a lot of other um, potential Chris's to bring into the show, so we could we could kind of run with that, you know. Great, and that reminds me of like a, a conference that Chris Bevelo and I were at. I, I think it was like maybe two two or three years ago, where we found that there was five or six different people with the first name Chris and the last uh, last name with the initial B, and so we all got together for a group photo, all the Chris B's at the conference. So it was Wait, pretty interesting. I think I've seen that on your social media somewhere. Yeah, maybe maybe it's on there. On you my, know my uh, nickname for you and Chris Bevelo now, right? Uh, which is CB two. CB2, yes. Uh, we, we will try not to... Uh, what, why, we, I would say we should copyright that, but I think someone else may have that title already. Hashtag CB2? He, hashtag CB2? I don't know. Um, have you, <laughs> maybe Crate and Barrel will have an issue with us uh, against their, uh, their, their store. Their I think other we store. should partner with them. Oh, hey, not a bad idea. Maybe right. we can get some good furniture or housewares. Yes, yes. Absolutely. That would be nice for the office, yeah. Swag. Be good. So, Christy, um, you're new, and um, not a lot of people know about you. Do you want to do a little introduction? Tell us who you are. Sure. Well, I'm not new, but I'm new to this podcast. I have been on one time when we when we first joined forces with Interval last fall. Um, let's see. So, a little bit about me. Um, I've been here at Revive for four years, which is pretty awesome. It's been a lot of fun. And my background in healthcare... Um, dates back to my days at a wellness company. It was uh, disease management and wellness back before people even knew the term population health management. And we were trying to, we had, we had sort of, it was, it was with a company called Healthways here in town. And um, at the time, disease management, we were trying to build a name for it. And uh, just when we began to build some name recognition for disease management, we wanted to then start using the term population health so, oh. um, yeah, I was with wow. Population Health before Population Health was popular. Was a, was a, was a thing. Was a thing. Yeah. Right. That was back in, you know, like 2004, something like that. Um, yeah, pre, pre-jargon. Yeah. The, the pre-jargony Population Health. Oh, no, health. there was lots of jargon. Always has been. So that's where I really, you know, sort of uh, cut my teeth on healthcare. Um, and then since then, I've... I've worked with a number of um, healthcare organizations and associations um, before even coming to Revive and started my career as a journalist. So, you know, that, that can be pretty telling to some people. Um, so, yeah. That's well, there me. you go. 
<laughs> well, you know, as being on this podcast, we have to know what your favorite uh, television programs are and, oh um, you know, other hobbies. I think that we've been really uh, putting Dana to the test the last couple of, couple of shows. <laughs> oh, so. well, can I start with my hobbies? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, so I deemed this year hashtag year of the bike. I bought a new road bike earlier this year, so I've been trying to log a lot of miles there and using Strava, which is, I'm an app fanatic, so if there's an, there's hardly an app out there that I don't, you know, want to check out, so Strava is a really cool app, and I've unfortunately logged zero miles in the last two weeks, but I'm going to change this weekend, so bicycling is a big, um, fun hobby of mine. Uh, running used to be, but I'm biking more than running. And then I really am a foodie, so I love to eat, which is why I run and bike. And then <laughs> I also really enjoy gardening. Oh, that's right. I, I Yeah, well, you have to subscribe to her Instagram, and you can see all of the gardening photos that she puts out there. i got to so. post some more. Yeah. I don't do well, as much good. gardening as I would like. I have a small little plot, but, you know. That's great. Well, yeah. good. Well, that's oh. good. We will we will make sure to tie it into some gardening tips. TV maybe. shows. My favorite TV show is The Voice. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Um, and I also love this show Nashville. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I live in Nashville, but I I really enjoy it. And then, of course, all the binge watching shows that are popular with folks. Um, House sure. of Cards. Um, Game of Thrones? Well, okay, so I have to put Game of Thrones and Mad Men, even though Mad Men is just, it's now over. I'm mm-hmm. going to i am gonna beat the odd man out and just now start watching it. Oh. So Mad Men and Game of Thrones are two of my, uh, on my binge watch list mm-hmm. going forward. Um, what else do I like? Well, you know, we, you have to make sure you watch Game of Thrones if you're going to be future on this podcast. So, okay. You know. Just so will, you know. I will get with the program. It's sort of a prerequisite. So, um, And Mad Men, I'm surprised as being our, our chief marketing officer that, you know, that you, you aren't into Mad Men as much as I know. As you know what is, happened? I didn't, I didn't get on the bandwagon early enough. And then I was just like, well, I'm so far behind. I, I can't start watching it now. And then I just sort of decided, forget it. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Well, I've been that way with a lot of different shows. Um, well, why don't we jump right in? We have some good topics today. Uh, we're going to talk about some things, and uh, I think I'll skip uh, upcoming speaking engagements. I think we covered those pretty well the uh, the last couple of podcasts. Why don't we uh, Why don't we jump right into the the first two? I think their first two big stories. What we found is that um, you know, unfortunately, over the last couple of weeks, there's been some big crisis communication stories out there um, that uh, related to some some disasters. One, uh, you know. Um, first, the Amtrak crash that happened up in the uh, uh, up in the Philadelphia area. That's pretty bad. Um, and as well, we have uh, the oil spill that happened down in Santa Barbara, which is kind of close to one of our office locations down in Santa Barbara. Um, so uh, we're going to post some links to those articles. But Christy and and Dana, what are your thoughts? Let's talk about Amtrak first in terms of how they responded to that to after the the train derailed. I thought that was pretty interesting how it kind of played out on social media. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, for those of us in the communications world, you know, the Amtrak has pretty much been skewered um, by those of us who do crisis, you know, for a living for a lot of reasons. But really, social media, they kind of came under attack. Um and I think rightly so, because if you look back at what they posted and when they posted, I mean, 
their they they their first post was essentially, hey, we're aware there's an issue. Um, okay, <laughs> and the, right. and then they said they basically directed people to a one eight hundred number uh, after that. Mm, okay, and then they said that they were going to have a press conference. Um, so you know I, what I really found to be most ironic, however, when I kind of took a look at what Amtrak was doing. Um, they actually spent a lot of time uh, prior to that doing a whole site um, on their corporate Amtrak uh, website called Social Media Trends for 2015. Why should you care? And they have literally, I mean, go there and check it out. It's really crazy because they have this whole, um, the social the social gap, company presence versus activity, um, time spent on social media, social investments on the rise. I mean, they've clearly spent a lot of time setting up their social media channels and right. developing a lot of, they've been working on building a following. And, the, and ironically, just a month, a couple months prior, they had like, they really capitalized on some social media activity with folks and, and giving away trips to South by Southwest. Right. Um, and it was, you know, it's like, oh, well, maybe they, the opportunity now is, is to take that network, to take what clearly the time and investment they've put into social media and look at how they apply it to these kinds of situations, which I think is the big, the big kind of takeaway from that. Yeah, I, I found that to be ironic too, and it's interesting because a lot of people they think about social media in certain ways, right? And in this case, they were using social media as a way to do marketing promotions, right. uh, you know, really trying to build goodwill with their organization. Yeah. But then when the crisis occurred, immediately that's where people turned to, and they were getting viscerated on social about what are you guys saying? You're not giving us any updates, etc. You know, they yeah. they so they're really great at the promotions, but what about the the service recovery? What about the crisis components of that? And I think that's where social media kind of really differs a lot as a medium out there, you know, that we have to we have to get into it. Whenever there is a crisis uh, that occurs, social is probably the first place that many of us go to. Right? I got to tell you, it's the it's where it's how I get all my headlines now. I mean, I I I have the New York Times feeds, I have all my news feeds. I'm getting my headlines throughout the day um, right to my phone. You know, I mean, we're living in exactly what everybody predicted is that people will choose how to get the, when and how to get their headlines rather than it being sent to them um, on on some outlets time frame, right? And so I think you have to consider that. And I think the other thing that this really highlights, and especially in healthcare, um, a lot of times. The people who are in charge of crisis communications versus the people that are using social from a marketing standpoint, they're they're not coordinating with each other. They're they're really viewing those as two separate things, and they're just not, you know. And so I think, um, no matter how an organization is using social media, it would it's a mistake to assume that oh, marketing owns social media and we've got the social media manager or director or whoever you know over there doing social media and that really isn't related to us over here in communications or investor relations it's right it's gotta all tie in you know hr ir pr exactly. <laughs> whatever whatever other r that you know we could come up with um but ironically 
even though all these channels are so connected now, they're still siloed within organizations. Yeah, that's a that's a common thing. So Dana, tell tell me a little. I mean, you you also are on social media all the time. Do you use it as a way to get kind of real time up to date information? Yeah, well, um, when I read the statement um, mm-hmm. that kind of got hammered in social media, my first reaction was just whoever was in charge was out of touch, right? They were focusing. It seemed to be more about kind of the practical part of it. Of hey, you know, we're suspending service, and but we're going to be quickly back up and we're going to get you to where you want. And I'm like, okay, the people on social media want information. They're also very, in, in my opinion, social media is very emotional. If you, if you kind of follow it, it's like, ah, you know, but people need to know that. And so being able to tie in the message to the fact that it was a really tragic thing, there's going to be many upset, you know, and very sensitive families you, you just think it would have been much more focused on that. And then, of course, yes, you know, I know when something is running late or different things. I go to my Twitter account or, or, you know, look on Facebook to see if there are updates. But that's not the first reason I'm going there. The first reason is what the heck is going on? And, and then does it affect me? Does it affect my family? Um, so, yeah, it felt really out of touch. Um, I think that's a great point, Dana. And that reminds me when you said, you know, it's so emotional. When I was just kind of reviewing, you know, prior to this podcast, and we were going to be talking about this, and I was kind of going back through, and um, there's these summaries, you know, of people that were passengers on that train, people that were there with at the on the scene, and they were posting all of these videos and pictures and tweets, and, you know, you got a much better sense of what was going on from just average people that were there and there was no interaction between Amtrak and the people that were posting those and as I was looking through some of those I I almost I got very emotional just rereading some of them you know mm-hmm. um, and and it, it really was oh wow I could I could get a much better sense of what it was like to be there and you know, and you think about that, you know, for our for the people that that we work with in, in the healthcare space, that becomes even more of an issue, right? Because um, I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to minimize what happened with with Amtrak. That was a big a big condition, a big situation. But you know, in many times in healthcare, and and when I've worked with social media accounts and and ran them, people are talking about their family members, and yeah. they're talking about very important things, and you know, and and. To, to arm your social media channels with people that don't know how to respond to all these different types of inputs. Because you get, you're going to get a lot of things on social media, but, you know, crisis communication, you're going to be able to use those channels to do PR, to do all the R's, as you mentioned, right, and marketing and whatever. But the person that's running that, a lot of times are in, our, in the organizations that I've worked with, those people tend to be pretty siloed. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be also very inexperienced in many cases, like right. you know, young people that are fresh out of college that maybe have not been able to, to are not trained in terms of doing crisis communication. Mm-hmm. And then they're almost on the front lines in many cases. Yeah. And you know, and, and I agree Dan, with Dana, your point exactly about it being very social. It's a social channel. I mean, that's in the title, right? Social media. So you have to you have to have a creative tone, a voice, etc. I mean, I think, so let's switch over to the, the pipeline that burst in, right outside of Santa Barbara. That's another example where this company, I guess, what is it, the American, uh, let me, I'll try to find the name here. Um, it says Plains, Plains All-American All American Pipeline. 
Plains All American Pipeline, and let's go ahead and let's talk about them a lot because they don't they're not even out there on social media. <laughs> they so have first, no social media presence. Yeah. First of all, anybody that's in the oil pipeline business should have learned a lesson from a what, a couple, three years ago in the Gulf? I mean, come on. BP was a, that was a case study of all case studies, right? In oil and pipeline and crisis response. Just, just look at that case study and then build a little program for yourself or hire people that can help you do that. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be caught flat footed on that one. Right. And these guys were caught, they were completely in the dark. And in fact, you know, they, they even put up like a, they even were referring people to a website. An article that, we're, that I, I looked at today was, uh, I, I linked over to the website. That website doesn't even look like it was built to respond to this crisis, right? So I get it in a, in a crisis communication that you may want to build like an emergency site to kind of handle all the communications, be the bulkhead of your communications. Um, but even the site that they're linking to had old information on it. It, had, it wasn't even related to what was going on. This is like, you know, crisis communication 101 stuff out there. No kidding. Speaking of Crisis Communication 101, you bring up the website. I mean, a dark website yeah. is everybody that deals with the public or, or anticipates any kind of crisis have a dark website ready to go because then you can spend the time thinking through it, right, and understanding how do we need to structure this site and what kinds of information do we want to be able to feature and put on this at the drop of a hat because if you've if you've you know when the time to think about crisis is when you're not in one (laughs) and anybody with a dark website you know it just makes it so easy to be able to um switch it on and you know i've always thought one of the biggest um advantages also and especially now with social media tying in is there's a lot of misinformation that goes out there you know, right. during a crisis. And so you can you can still own the conversation and you can still, you know, correct the wrongs out there if you've got a dark website, if you've got social media channels, if you've got a, a policy and sort of a, um, you know, a triage communications plan in place, you can anticipate those things and then you can quickly set the record straight when the record may, be not, be, may not be straight, you know, because right. you do have so many people weighing in immediately through social media these days. Right. So, right. You know, I, the whole concept of a dark website, it kind of, I, I'm on two, two sides of the fence on this one because I really think that in this day and age with social media and with everything else, that you should, it shouldn't be dark. It should be absolutely out there in the public. Uh, any crisis that affects any organization. So I think, I know that there are some, some instances when you have to have a website that's kind of separate from your, your larger web presence. But I tell you, the minute something happens, people go right immediately to, you know, they want to go, they want to get information. They're going to those press pages on your website. They're trying to get the authoritative source. So whatever it is, whichever way that you're going to communicate, be it a dark website or, or not, um, just realize that there's no such thing as like information that's hidden from people anymore, right? It's all out there. That's true. Everyone's going to find out or they're going to make it themselves like with the BP from three years ago where that great hashtag or that great Twitter handle came out. Um, and uh, what if you guys it? may recall that. Oh, I forgot. Was it the real BP or something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where it was like a sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of approach to uh, how they would, you know, it was, it was basically highlighting their ineptitude with uh, crisis communication by creating a, a sort of a parody website uh, or parody Twitter <laughs> account. 
So yeah, during yeah. that, that reminds me. You know, it's very much like the disconnect with the with the um, the Santa Barbara oil spill. You're you really need to make sure your CEO, if that's going to be your spokesperson, they can come across as very believable, trustworthy, empathetic, human, mm-hmm. connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and if not, you may want to find a different spokesperson. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, yeah, just that's... to be able to have a voice and a presence um, in a time of crisis, that's really soothing to people. And, and at least people feel, people want to feel like something is being done. Somebody understands me. You know, those are, you can't underestimate the value of that in any crisis. Dana, what were you going to say? Well, and I was going to say that um, you guys, obviously being the experts on this, but um, it's probably never too late to try to recover, though, from the initial impact of maybe poorly um, dealing with it. Because I actually do remember um, the BP commercials coming about a month later with actually some really good stuff, talking about how much they had you know, invested in getting it back to where you, you could take your family and vacation. And I was like, yes, once again, that's the response that everyone's looking for um, rather than a technical term. And, you know, like you said, even maybe a CEO coming off as very, um, you know, just kind of stale or um, just not very good in front of the camera. Um, you know, so I, I do, you know, think that it's pretty important not to be um, like okay with the fact was like ah oh, we got this wrong but let's move on but actually <laughs> try to get your um, brand back in and you know I guarantee with this whole Santa Barbara thing the news is going to die out right so it'd be easy enough for um, you know the company for example to just kind of hope to hide behind that fact that the cameras will go away in a little while but I'm seeing posts from friends, you know, I've lived there for, was born there, and um, they're still talking about a spill that happened in 69, 70, I think, something like that, because you feel the impact, you see the animals affected, you actually, I I know um, someone posted, it was perfect, because I remember as a kid, the time you spend getting tar off your feet, you know, and it just totally impacts you, well, now, I actually know the name of this company, I'm going to be so mad at them when I walk on the beach and I got taro, you know, all over my feet. Um, but maybe, um, you know, in a month or two, if they actually get a clue and really pitch in and put some resources, um, and, and let me know they care. Well, obviously I'm not going to buy stock in them and, you know, maybe it doesn't really return on investment for them. But to me, I think it goes a long way, you know? So I don't know what you guys think about as far as is that important to a some oil company that can kind of just hide behind this? Or, well, I think I think you can make a good point, Dana. I mean, it's it's never too late, right? So Amtrak and and Plains All American Pipeline, they you guys still have a way to get through this. I see that Amtrak's hiring a new social media person, that's so maybe that's a way that. through, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, yeah. I I agree with you. I, I mean, you know, we're, we don't our mouths are going to be soured or our feet are going to be tarred. Um, you know, for many, many nice. years based on, <laughs> based on uh, what, what occurred. But um, it's never too late to kind of try, try to sway the tide. Oh, that's also a bad pun. Oh, oh man. Boy. Was, wow. Turn the boy. tide. I think it's turn yeah. the tide. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, a typical boyerism that mixes oh, the metaphors. Yeah, that's oh, what I do. Oh, boyer. 
Yeah, oh boy. I agree, exactly. Dana. I remember those commercials after BP because, again, that was pretty close to my home and my family right. um, vacations down in the Gulf of Mexico every every summer. And it's so beautiful down there. And I do remember those commercials to this day because I thought, wow, they really did a nice job on those. And I remember they featured their own employees and their own employees talked about, hey, I live here. This is my home. And I work for BP, yes, but here's what we're doing. And I thought that was so smart and so effective because it's like it does put a, it really connected BP to, you know, it wasn't like they just swooped in yeah. from, from you know, I think their CEO lived in England, maybe. Uh, maybe right. he lived in London. Um, and they have, you know, employees all over the world. But it really brought home the fact that they actually, the people that were working in that, you know, people lost their lives. People actually live in those communities, and so it's really important to them. So I love the the emotional tie and then, you know, any kind of personal tie you can bring in. You know, it's really interesting, too, looking back um, on the Amtrak. I actually, in my way back when I was really young, I was a reporter um, in Memphis, and there was a train wreck an Amtrak train wreck. It was the city of New Orleans coming from Illinois going on, on its way down to New Orleans. Um, and there were some people from Memphis who were on that train. And so they sent me up there. To, I, they looked around the newsroom. I was the only one there at the moment. They're like, hey, you go cover that. So I went up there, and that was before Internet. I mean, this is how old I am. And before cell phones. And I just remember, you know, it was it – was, it's total devastation and chaos, you know, in a scene like that. And you're, everybody's just trying to figure stuff out. And they're, you know, people are kind of walking around. And I just remember Amtrak did a really great job at, at the time, at that point in time. They had people on the ground. Their main spokesperson was on it. They clearly had a, a plan in place. They, they were responding. They were taking care of the passengers. They were giving statements to the media. And it really... You know, I remember them doing such a great job at that point, but it just, it kind of highlights just how different a world we live in in such a short amount of time. Yeah, well, sure does. I mean, social media, it's going to change things, change things permanently. Oh, I have some social media stats, by the way. Do you want to hear what those are? Just a. Oh, sure, quickly. Do you have time? Do we have time? Well, uh, well yeah, we sure. But, Twitter, uh, yeah. Twitter, how many people, how many people do you think, how many active Monthly users, do you guys think are on Twitter right now? Uh, monthly active users on Twitter, I don't know, uh, 27 million. What do you think, Dana? 5 million active. 302 million monthly active users. Holy smokes. Wow, that's pretty crazy. 500 that's crazy. million tweets are sent per day. Think about wow. that. That's crazy. Boy, and I probably get half of them to my, my news feed. You do. How do you keep up? I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you? What do you? How many? How many uh, Facebook monthly active users on Facebook would you guess? Monthly active users. Well, if you you know, I my mother's been pretty active lately. So um, <laughs> this is worldwide. Uh, worldwide. Worldwide. And I think yeah, there's billions. what like six billion people in the world or something. Yeah, I, I would say it's probably three billion. Probably half the half the the world. You're close. Yeah. You got How a much? guess, Dana, or you want me to? Billion. Okay, one point four four billion. That's still one point four four billion. There you go. That's still a lot of people, and one point two five billion of those are are accessing it on mobile. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. 
One more, I do. One more stat, and then I'll shut up. Okay. I promise. Okay, Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. Instagram. You guys want to take any any guesses on Ooh. monthly active users on Instagram? It's got to be less. Oh yeah, yeah, significantly less. But I still think Instagram is, is is, and that's become my social media platform of choice right now. I'd say maybe maybe about 15, 15 to twenty million. Dana, what do you yeah, say? Yeah, ten million. Ten million. You guys are so off on this one. Three. Oh, yeah. Three hundred million. Three hundred million. Wow, that's and, crazy. And listen to this. Eight months ago, well, that was as of December 2014. Eight months prior to that, it was 200 million. So they they gained 100 million active monthly users in eight months last year. I mean, wow, that, that's wild. That's crazy. Well, so, there's something to this social media. There's stuff. something to it. It's not a passing fad. Exactly. Wow, 300 million. Oh, boy, I wish I could run a company that would like grow its its client base by a third but but they're not really monetizing it yet are they you know they they're starting to just this past week i don't know if you noticed but i started noticing on my instagram feeds now you can there are sponsored feeds oh and you can they've got all these different links now and this is brand new and and i was curious you can even Swipe through different pages on a single Instagram. Oh, really? Oh, Interesting. yeah. Um, I think the one that I saw was uh, Starwood, the Starwood Hotel. Um, really? Yeah. I'd be interested to see how that plays out and what the response is, because I know promoted tweets are not really getting as much uh, traction it, as they thought. It made me a little sad, actually, to see yeah. it. Well, yeah. You know, you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> In these cases, the advertisement is meant to come. Yeah. So, you know, well, I think we have just a maybe a minute or two or a few more minutes. Let's say let's let's do a really quick touch on this one, although I think this one's important. We uh, may have to bring Christy back for this. We may, we may have to bring her back for this. Maybe do was, a little teaser. Yeah, I was actually thinking maybe we bring her back to talk about the payer survey. What I think what just like a little filler at the end, maybe we can do uh, what hospital websites look like in the future. Maybe we can do oh, a, a few yeah. minutes on that. I found this article on Wall Street Journal, which I thought was actually positively hilarious. And it was from April of this year. Um, and it actually listed, it, it, was, uh, it was titled, What Hospital Websites of the Future Will Look Like? So well, again, we're going to post a link to this. But uh, just, you know, let's just, just to speed this up a little bit. Uh, what do you think? I know you guys have read it, but what do you think some of the some of the things uh, features of a hospital website in the future are going to have? What do you think it should have? Well, I'll tell you what I think it should have. Yeah. Transparency. Transparency. Into ding, ding, ding. into pricing, into how to schedule an appointment. You know, all the kinds of things that. You know, some of the best uh, consumer websites and brands have already figured out. Copy some of those. Do do that. Do, do that and do more of that. <laughs> do more. Yeah, I'll, I won't name the hospital, but um, you know, paying bills for um, childbirth and different things shouldn't be like trying to search for buried treasure of how you make the payment, how you look up what the details of the payment are. Um, you know, and also even just having trouble to connect to the, like you have to be in certain places that it will connect others, you know, other providers for some reason do, doesn't support 
logging in and all these kinds of things. Just it shouldn't be the website for me. It's like it's got to be user friendly, and they're Absol- not. Yeah. And they're not so exactly they're not at all. I mean, I think that that's one thing. Um, in my previous work, what, what I came to realize when doing hospital websites is a people don't go to hospital websites for fun. Um, they're there to do something, and b. Uh, you have to make whatever it is that they want to do easier. And most of the stuff they want to do is not marketing. It's not getting messaging about you. Sure, it's research about about your services, but it's uh, you know it's also paying your bills and being able to call someone. You'd be surprised how many hospital websites that they have phone numbers on there that when you call them, you don't get you get through to an answering machine or you get through like some kind of weird tree. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest things you can do is the web is a way for people to do things, and if they can't do things, connect them through to someone that can help them do it. That's such um, a great point. I got to tell you, even being in healthcare and being you know a relatively intelligent person and understanding the business of healthcare, when I get sick or my son gets sick and I have to go or I have to find a doctor. I'm one of, I'm just like so many millions of Americans out there. I don't actually have a primary care physician. That's a terrible thing for me to admit. But let me tell you, I wouldn't even know I don't even know how to start to find one. And so if I had somewhere to go, if there was a hospital in my city that I could go to the website and say, I need a primary care physician and I need someone who's taking this insurance that's taking new clients or new patients. And here's the kind of personality I'd like for them to have. You know, I'm a woman. I like to support other females. So I typically try to choose female dentists, female doctors. You know, maybe that's, you know, sexist of me, but I don't think so. Um, So, you know, I could type in the things that are important to me. And, like, if there was a hospital website that I could go to and they could help me make those kinds of choices and decisions, I would so, I'd be in love with that brand and that hospital. And I would go to that them every time. Are you saying like a match.com for your doctor? Yes, that kind of exists, doesn't it? Or that's just swipe, people have been talking swipe about left, it. Swipe right. Why not? Well, that's more Tinder, but you know. Well, still, I mean, that may be a way. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I'll just quickly go through the list here because all of these are, you know, the, uh, let's put a little context around it. The person who wrote this is the president and CEO of LeapFrog. And that's a big organization that does a lot of quality ratings on hospitals. And I'm sure he's a very smart guy. She, but, she, that's oh, Leah she, Binder. She actually I'm spoke sorry. at our, she. Um, she spoke at our summit last year, believe it or not. Yeah. But some of the things that, that she listed here are, um, you know, are not necessarily that kind of advanced forward. Real-time patient reviews and observations. I think a lot of hospitals are doing that now. Um, your, your medical record, access to your medical records. I think there's laws that say that you have to have that. Um, an interesting point she listed, literally see a clinician right now. Um, uh, the website will immediately allow you to obtain a video consultation with a clinician. That would be interesting. Um, but, I mean, does that mean that hospitals will have to have doctors, like, on the ready? They would, someone hits they the would have to work that into their contracts to, like, force them to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Actually, they probably have to work it into their payment, you know. Some... Right. Uh, other things, prices, uh, help with medications, food ratings. That's interesting, right? Um, the ratings of the foods in hospitals. I think, I, I think that would be interesting to me to see. Yeah, I, um, I like the idea of having, um, they talked about 
how some people out there already have uh, hired sous chefs to run their kitchen. That would be, I think that's a great idea because when you do have to go to the hospital or you're stuck at the hospital because um, someone in your family is there, having good food choices would be awesome. You know, yep. it's so often not the case. The last thing you want to have is cold meatloaf. <laughs> yes. Right. True statement. I'm sure we have our we, we have our horror stories of food in hospitals. So, so anyway, it's an interesting article. Um, you know, some of the some of the points are not that 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 far forward, but others are are pretty interesting. And maybe we can invite our listeners to kind of po- comment on uh, what they would like to see on hospital websites of the future. Maybe a Tinder like app. Swipe left for this heart treatment. Swipe right if you don't want it. <laughs> Yeah, and hey, maybe you end up with a good-looking physician, too. So, Oh, right. always a benefit. You never know. You never know. <laughs> All right. Well, good conversations today, Christy. Thanks for being part of this. I hope you're part of this in the future. Uh, oh, we, we have to. So there's some good so content. Too. Yeah, well, we do have to talk about the payer survey. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll address that in one of the upcoming podcasts here to talk about some of the results there. Um, Okay, well, uh, you know, for Revive Health and the the Healthcare Marketing Underground podcast, um, this is Chris Boyer and Christy Goad and Dana Weymouth. Bye. Bye. Bye.